Welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, a show about weirdos, with your hosts, John Fahey, Aaron Peter, and Matt Brutzow. Hello folks, welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, it's a show about weirdos, doggone it. Once again, my friend Kevin Noonan says... It's like scumbag this American life. <laughs> yes. Yes. Indeed. Mm. Aaron, you're the most precious kitten in the game. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? You know, um, functioning highly as a pervert. Yes. Uh, continuing to uh, accelerate my perversion. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good. Uh, at an ever-increasing rate. How about yes. you, Matt? I'm doing great. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, you are. Do you feel like you're accelerating into hyperversion? Uh, yeah, Dude, certainly. Fuck. Well, well, that's, that's, you know, that's my thing. I don't do it as well as you, Aaron. I don't. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so you're not going to let Matt be beautiful or a hypervert? Yeah, I mean, that's okay. I'm not going to not let him, but like, come on, dude, let me... Can I can I just can I have something for myself? Yes. You can, you can. Matt has the good voice. He does. You and I sound like chirping sparrows. Oh, but Matt is beautiful sparrows. Matt is the one that uh that really does mm. the silky smooth. God damn. He's gonna be doing a whole heap of talking today, which I'm very excited about. Holy hey, can I can I talk about something real quick up front? Yeah, go I for it. I know you guys are cultured, you like music and all that bullshit. Oh, I love right? music. Yeah, yeah. You guys like that noticing, shit, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm dumb. Right. I don't mm-hmm. know anything about music. But gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but you know, have you heard of this guy, Elvis Costello? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw him in an Austin Powers movie once. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this this story comes courtesy of my, our main man, Nick Shapiro. Oh, yes. He told me this story because it kind of ties into a few other things that we've talked about here. And I just, I just loved it so much. So I thought I'd share it with you, too. Great. And some of the fans who are listening, but yeah. especially you guys. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so I guess Elvis Costello like, really broke on the scene in, like, 77. Yeah. And uh, he he did SNL. Yes, like and this was before like really any anybody knew him. It, was it uh, Elvis Costello and the Attractions? Yeah, mm-hmm. those have been. Um, and uh, so the, the 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 host of that episode of SNL was just some old lady who won a contest. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, uh, her name was like Miskel something or other. This was the part of their anybody can host contest. Wow, I think he like called an eight hundred number. <laughs> Miskel Spillman, an elderly woman. Anyway, so she hosted me. They uh they have Elvis Costello, uh, uh, and the attractions come on and play, and they're supposed to play their song "Less Than Zero. Yes, but uh, so they start playing the song, and they start playing the opening riffs, and Elvis Costello is very famously says, I'm, "We get stop, 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 ladies and gentlemen. There's no reason for us to play this song," mm-hmm. and they start playing the song. Radio, radio. Mm, that's a classic, Costello classic song. Costello song, protest song ish, mm. kind of uh, criticizing the commercial nature of radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was the one song that Lorne Michaels and NBC asked them to not play at all wow. costs. Yeah. So they start playing the song, and uh, apparently Lorne Michaels is there, kind of like off to the side where he would normally be. You know, like the, not the audience, but just to the side. Mm. 
just giving him the finger the whole time. <laughs> and there's a line in the song, you kind of see it in the performance, where he talks about biting the hand that feeds him and b- take, biting that hand. Yeah. And like he's just giving a side eye to, right. to Lauren Michaels. You can see it there. And um, that, that, apparent, that launched Elvis Costello, at least to the U.S. audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, apparently... Okay, so the song... Radio Radio is about BBC's, the BBC Radio's uh, ban of God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. Ah. The Sex Pistols were originally supposed to be playing on SNL that night. No shit. They had to ask Elvis Costello and the attractions to play that night because Malcolm McLaren fucked up their visas. <laughs> wow. Really? Yes. No shit. Elvis Costello and the Attractions wasn't even NBC's second choice. They originally asked to replace the Sex Pistols, the Ramones. Wow. And the Ramones said, we don't cover for anybody. No, we don't. We don't play as anybody's second choice. <laughs> so in We com- drink steel reserves. <laughs> uh, excuse me. I mean, we drink piss. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, the Steel Reserve line too. Oh, we'll take. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Lauren. <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so, so then he's banned for twelve years. They, well, they institute like a lifetime ban yeah. against Elvis Costello and the attractions. First person to be banned from SNL. Mm-hmm. I think later it was like uh, Dice Clay and Mar- uh, um, Martin. Martin uh, Lawrence. Lawrence. Yes. Martin Lawrence, um, Martin Lawrence was banned for the monologue. But the thing that's so funny about that... It was about anal hygiene, and everybody... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Some of y'all ain't cleaning your asses properly. And he was right. And True. he was absolutely right. Um, but the whole rest of that show is so funny. Yeah. Like, he did a fantastic job as a host, except for... Going off the rails on the monologue. Yeah, and doing, like, um, what would... I mean, if, if, if like, you know, Def Jam was huge at the time. Like, if you were at a Def Jam show, that was, like, you know, totally, totally fine. That was you know, the tamest what? bit of his set. Yeah, and, like, the thing is, is that, you know, with, with Elvis Costello's thing and with Martin Lawrence's thing is there is this impulse, because it's live, to just go get it. It's got, mm-hmm. it, it became a trope after that with SNL. Yeah. Of people going off script. Yeah. At least... Um, in terms of their performance, Sinead O'Connor ripping a picture of the Yeah, show. you know, and Lorne Michaels knew she was going to do something, yeah. and he was, like, waiting and watching. And then when she did it, he somebody, like, was, like, standing next to him, and he just goes, yep. Like, <laughs> I knew it. Yep. I knew it. And then he canceled the applause sign. So it went to commercial on, silence. like, pure silence. Which is even more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also she was right. (laughs) She was totally right. Mm -hmm. You know, you just couldn't say it back then. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, she was entirely right, like, Mm -hmm. and totally vindicated, you know. And also, you know, she did a better version of a Prince song, so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Nothing compares to you. Mm Mm-hmm. God bless her. Yeah. But Prince, you know, he didn't even sing that song. He gave it to uh, the family, like, another one of the bands he Uh created along the way, like, The Revolution Mm -hmm. and... uh, you know, uh, like the Third Eye band he did, and all all the time, all the mm-hmm. bands he created. But yeah, like he, Throw it just away. came out since he died. The original version that he sent to the guy in the family to sing, like mm-hmm. the demo of of Prince actually his table singing. scraps. Yeah, of him actually singing. Nothing compares to you. 
And um, the guy hadn't heard it since Prince sent it to him. So he was like freaking out. Like, he was like, I'm, I'm totally tripping out over you sending this to me because I haven't heard this in you know, 30 years. years or whatever. But that's good stuff, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, so uh, 12, 15 years later, about 12, actually 12 years later after the ban, this was, uh, it was SNL's 25th anniversary. So they mm. had their special. Yeah. And they had, um, at the very end of the show, Beastie Boys came on. And they're all set up in their band. You know, uh, Mike D and Ad Rock and whatever the guy's other name is. Right. And they start playing Sabotage, the opening rips to Sabotage. Huge. Crowd's like bated breath. And out comes Elvis Costello. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, everybody. There's no reason for us to play this song right now. <laughs> no Starts shit. playing radio, radio. Wow. With the Beastie Boys playing backup. Damn. Another thing I forgot to mention. Shit. The drummer on the original radio, radio performance on SNL, he's wearing a t-shirt <laughs> that says, Thanks, Malk. As a shout-out to Malcolm <laughs> McLaren wow. for fucking up their visas to let them play. Yeah, it's it's funny to me that he would be so uptight about it, because there was a lot of, you know, anarchism in those days. You know, everybody was all chopped up, mm-hmm. and, you know, like... But if you see some of the other live performances, it'll be, like, Chevy Chase in the background with a tambourine. Or, yeah. like, Belushi, like, you know... Just well, like, Belushi did the thing with Joe Cocker. Right, yeah. yeah. Which was incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. really good, not just, like, you know, mocking in any way. Yeah, yeah. You know, Aykroyd was like, he was like, uh, he's like, I'm the one that got Belushi into blues. He's like, he didn't know fucking shit about blues. He was all about Black Flag and fucking hardcore punk. No shit. It was all he was into, and then I got him into yeah, blues. Yeah, you know, I got him into blues, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he did. You got him into coke, too. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Aykroyd is a fucking character, man. Oh, is, have you ever seen him talk about UFOs? You, do you know he's like a fucking like expert on like airplanes in World War II and shit? No that, shit. That's why he's in Pearl Harbor. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, he's like a fucking fanatic for, you know, that. You know how some people are just into that shit? Yeah. You know? And I'm like a person that loves miscellaneous bullshit, but I always think it's fascinating when somebody is just like off on World War II aviation. Yeah. Ask me about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I love it. Yeah, so do I. Because it's so fucking weird. And, like, why do you care? Yeah, it had a Rolls-Royce engine in it. it was yeah. the first one to have a turbo fan. What? R- right, right. Crazy. Crazy stuff. Um, Everything is... Uh, is is uh, The stickers are in, so we're going to start sending everything out to the Patreon people. Mm-hmm. Um, on the Patreon, I've left open to the public uh, the episode... Which is very Patreon centric. Um, this guy's fucking a horse. Oh, you've opened yes. it to the masses. It's it's open to everybody. Yeah, um, it should be. so you can check it out if you want to get a taste for free of what we do on the Patreon. It tastes kind of like grass. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> Freshly yeah, cut yeah. grass. Mm. It does. It does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Why you gotta be so nasty all the time, John? Because <laughs> I'm a nasty motherfucker. Um, but yeah, check it out, and uh, if you'd like uh, some more of that sort of thing, you should subscribe to the Patreon. Yeah, um, that's a good uh, that's a good um, taste of it. Yes, it, it, it is. Really yeah, is. if you if you have uh, if you're into hardcore guys and you have a, a hardcore taste, <laughs> check out um, mm-hmm. this guy's this guy's fucking a horse. He's got a wife. He's but he's making love to the horse. He's making love mm-hmm. to the horse. He mm-hmm. says it's very consensual. He's also got brutal hemorrhoids. <laughs> There's a lot going on. <laughs> He also has brutal hemorrhoids. He also has brutal hemorrhoids. 
He also is married, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's married. Mm-hmm. Not, to not the horse, to a human woman. To a human woman who will serve as lookout while he's fucking the horse, yeah. should he ever need it. Yeah. Um, but check that out if you're yeah. into uh, if you're a hypervert or you know high functioning pervert, whatever whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt. Yes. Hi. I am gonna let you take it away. You got a, a tale to tell. Yes. Yeah. I do. Uh, so something that I, I think about every now and then, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she always says that the United States is a pendulum of sorts. Mm. You know, it swings one way and then it uh, swings back the other way and, mm. and it's a very consistent thing. And I, I think uh, one way you can see that is through the way we interact with drugs and alcohol in this country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, alcohol, we have a long history with alcohol in this country, uh, you know, as mm-hmm. everybody, every country does. Uh, you know, going back a couple, like a hundred years or so, 150 years, uh, you know, the the Navy until 1850, the United States Navy, used to give out a half pint of spirits for their daily ration. Really? So every sailor got a half pint of every, booze. A, a day? A day. Half a pint? Half a pint. Damn. Oh, and, uh, that's, not, that's not too much. Of spirits? Hey. <laughs> kicks hey. it up a notch. It does. It does uh, kick uh, it up a notch. So we were really heavy drinkers. In, in 1830, the average American <laughs> drank... The average American drank six beers a day in 1830, on average. Mm. It's over 2,000 beers a year. And that kind of of built up until Prohibition. You know, the pendulum swung, and then it swung back. Yeah. And the same thing with marijuana. We, 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 uh, plenty of people smoked marijuana. Uh, hemp was a big industry in the United States. Hemp was actually on the uh, $10 bill in 1914. That's how important it was to this country. Right. And then uh, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics in 1930, they noticed an uptick on it, so they put a tax on it and said you can only give it if you're a doctor. And um, so then that died out. Mm-hmm. And then in the 1960s, it, it came back in again. And 4% of Americans admitted they smoked it. The next year it was higher. The next year it was higher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the 60s and 70s and the big drug culture. And amphetamines were a big thing in this country after World War II. Right. All the soldiers were on amphetamines. They came back, back and they brought the amphetamines with them. Got their wives hooked on it. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of housewife mm-hmm. drugs. Black mm-hmm. Betty's. Oh, yeah. the house is so clean. Yeah. Right. And then the pendulum swung back. You know, we had eight years of calm and a black president. And then the pendulum swung back. Right. And now everything is insane. Yeah. And cocaine was also a very popular thing for, for years and years. Chop. Doctors would subscribe it. It was uh, it was useful in everyday activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in the uh, uh, 1914 Narcotics Act uh, canceled that out. But then the pendulum swung back again. Here's Time Magazine from 1981. Whatever the price, by whatever name, cocaine is becoming the all-American drug. A snort in each, each nostril and you're up and away for 30 minutes or so. Alert, witty, and with it. No hangover. No physical addiction. No lung cancer. Instead, drive sparkle and energy. Oh. It was back. Chop it up. Chop it up. Baseball was not immune to any of this. Baseball, for years, had their own alcohol problem. Here's a Mickey Mantle story for you. (sighs) It's from Jim Bouton in Ball 4. He says, he remembers one time Mickey Mantle was so injured, didn't expect to play. I guess he got himself smashed. The next day, he looked hungover out of his mind. He was sent to pinch hit. He could hardly see. So he staggered up to the plate and hit a tremendous drive to left field for a home run. Came back to the dugout, everybody shook his hand, leapt all over him, and he was getting a standing ovation from the crowd, and he squinted out to the stands, and he said, those people don't know how tough that really was. (laughs) (laughs) But amphetamines were also a huge part of baseball after World War II. Uh, It was, uh, some players said that over half the league was using them. Uh, One of the players in Jim Bowden's book, a pitcher, he got 500, and they said that'll last him a month. Jesus. Good God. 
And, uh, you know, it was against team policy for some teams, but they would just go to the other team's dugout or clubhouse and they would get it from them. Hmm. It, every, everybody was using it. It wasn't a big thing. But it caused a lot of problems. It's a uh, deal. Uh, Jim Bounty said one player, this guy John Kennedy, flew into a rage at, uh, at the umpire after a called third strike and he was tossed out of the game. He was still angry, so he went to the dugout, kicked the water cooler to the ground, and he threw it on the field. And they said, well, why did you do that? You're not that type of guy. And he said, uh, just as it, I got called down strikes, my greenie kicked in. <laughs> wow. They called them greenies. Greenies. Wow. And so there's a pill for everything back then. Yeah. And in baseball, uh, there's a form of hitting, you know, uh, of, of swinging at a pitch. Uh, someone who's re- really quick is at the plate, and uh, they'll swing with a, an acute downward motion mm-hmm. to uh, hit the ball so it bounces off the turf and it and bounces high right. in the air. And then they can run to first before they get thrown out. This is called the Baltimore chop. Ah. And it doesn't have anything to do with this story. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. But. Because this story is about Pittsburgh chop. Ah. It's the Pittsburgh chop. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you a little bit about Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, in many ways, is, is, a, uh, is a truly uh, a picture of America in, 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 in its so many different facets. Uh, it was not always a successful baseball city, but there's a ton of history with baseball. It was uh, founded in 1881, the, the Pittsburgh Pirates were, mm-hmm. 1881. Uh, they joined the National League in 1887. Their, their record is 500, you know, basically throughout their whole 100 plus years. Mm-hmm. They lost the first ever World Series because mm-hmm. their starting pitcher, uh, he injured his shoulder trap shooting. Wow. As you do back then. Yeah. Trap shooting? Mm-hmm. What's that? It's a form of shooting. Uh-huh. I don't really know. I just like the idea of someone who, in the biggest game of their career, can't play because they injure themselves. Just shooting something. Shooting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. But then they won. Uh, they won in 1909, 1925, 1960. They beat the Yankees in Game 7. Bill Mazeroski hit a game-winning home run in mm. Pittsburgh. The only time it's ever happened. And they won again in 1971. And uh, in 77 and 78, they uh, finished second in their division. They were a hot team. Pittsburgh in 79 was a happening place. Pittsburgh itself, I mean, it goes back forever. 19,000 years ago, there, there's remnants of Paleo-Indians who lived there. Huh. Hmm. Before the whites like, showed That up. means they didn't eat any bread and they were super shredded, Correct. Right? Yes, they lived in Santa Monica and they just visited <laughs> Pittsburgh. Yeah. It was a very settled native area. The Senecas called it uh, Deondega. Uh, there's many tribes there. There's the Lenape, we called them the Delaware, the, the Erie, the Iroquois, the Shawnee, Susquehannock. And they helped us fight the French during the French and Indian Wars. Mm. But Pittsburgh was the perfect place for a city, because it's where three rivers meet. Right. It's where the Allegheny from the north meets the uh, Monongala from the south. This forms the Ohio that goes west to the Mississippi. Right. So it's the perfect place, Mm -hmm. uh, because back then, boats were planes. Right. In essence. Yeah. Yeah. Boats were planes. So the French built a fort there. After the French and Indian War, uh, the English raised it, and then they built their own fort. Fort Pitts, which was named after Pitt the Elder. It was originally uh, supposed to be pronounced Pittsburgh, like Edinburgh. Ah. But we're American, so we just destroyed that. Right. Pittsburgh. And then when we fought the English in the War of 1812, Pittsburgh became the place where we built steamboats and railroads, and Carnegie Steel was founded there. Huh. And it, uh, they had fiery union strikes that mm. burned down part of the city. Right. 1900s, uh, it was a hot spot for bootlegging. Some mm. people say the term speakeasy was coined in the area. Mm. Uh, and in World War II, it was the arsenal of democracy. That's where we built so many powerful machines for World War II. Hmm. They had their own environmental problems. Whole, the whole city was covered in 
in uh, uh, steel smoke. Right. The, the, Soot. Yeah. Soot. You know, you'd wear a white shirt in the beginning of the day. It'd be black by the end of the day. Fuck, really? They had to keep their lights on all day because you couldn't see, Ugh. even if the sun was out. Jesus Christ. But 1979 was a great time to be there. The steel crisis had yet to really... Uh, uh, the, the nationalization of... The globalization of steel had yet to really affect the city. Mm-hmm. People were still having a great time. The Steelers had won their third Super Bowl in five years. Terry Bradshaw? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Lynn Swan. Oh. They were partying. There, there was great places. There was constant partying. There was cocaine everywhere. Oh. It was just... It was, it was so prevalent in society in that time that everybody just assumed it was legal. Yeah, I heard that uh, you could go out at night with a black shirt, and then at the end of the night, <laughs> and come back white. It was very chop abundant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cocaine was so prevalent in American society, there were ads for cocaine in magazines. Here's a couple for you. Snowblow. It adds life. It's basically <laughs> a perfume bottle that sprays water into your nose so you, can, you don't mm-hmm. get dry. Wow. Because, what does it say? Uh, uh, Snowblow Nose Doucher is the only civilized alternative to wet fingers. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. The original hi- dehydro bottle. It removes moisture from Coke. Huh. Oh. If you snort, don't get caught. Always be prepared. Here's a snow matchbook, they called it. Hmm. It features uh, one razor blade, two three-and-a-half-inch snorters, two self-sealing t- stash bags, one plastic sorting card, and one black glass chopping plate. Oh, Oh. All you need. Oh, the chop, the chop toolkit. <laughs> Here's from Easy Liner. Tonight's forecast: snow. Yeah. Ah, there yeah. we go. Buy your girlfriend a decorative necklace with which she can use to spoon coke at. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Bummers. A pictorial for those who have the unusual, the usual difficult time of snorting things out when, and it's a picture of a woman snorting coke. Out of a fuzzy rug. Yeah. Oh, bummer! Dude. Dude. Such a bummer. And also Gasper. Do it orally. With the Gasper oral or nasal snow ingester. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Bring the whole family. Do you have the um, the Hooter? I do. Oh, yeah, the vacuum? Yeah, yeah. Cause... The gold vacuum. <laughs> yeah. I definitely don't have one of those. <laughs> Is that yeah. where I haven't seen it? Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. I definitely haven't seen it in my possession. I definitely did not get it on eBay for a reasonable price. So Pittsburgh was a, was a place where you could do coke, you could hang out and drink, and you could yeah, go man. work, and everybody was in a good mood. Right. It was a happening place. And this was a happening place for a couple of local boys, a guy named Dale Schiffman and his friend Kevin Koch, K-O-C-H. Ah. And uh, Schiffman was a part-time photographer. Koch had just graduated from welding school. They were lifelong best friends. And uh, Kevin Koch's friend, uh, not Schiffman, but another guy, uh, uh, signed him up to be the mascot for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Hmm. And the Pirates hadn't had a mascot before, but in the spirit of the San Diego Chicken, they wanted a parrot mascot. Hmm. Yeah, like pirates have parrots on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. Right. Cool. And so he tried out, and uh, he did some dances and some songs, and uh, he he was selected. <laughs> oh, he went to the mascot audition, yeah. and he made it? Yeah. That's how it works. <laughs> and the next day, after this, he gets in a limo from the, the team owner, and then from the limo gets in a private jet, and they bring him to spring training, and it's there he bumps into the two biggest athletes in Pittsburgh at the time, uh, Willie Stargell and Dave Parker. Mm-hmm. And now he's in the dugout with him. This is a local boy's dream. How, uh, how old is he at this point? He's about 23, 24. Oh, prime chop age. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So Willie Stargell, Stargell was, uh, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's he's a, a, a legend of sorts. 
he would uh, he would swing a sledgehammer in the on deck circle. You know, some guys swing two bats when they're warming up. Oh he would swing God. a sledgehammer. Oh, good for him. He was the first guy ever to hit a ball out of Dodger Stadium. Really? The only guy to ever do it twice. Jesus. Hmm. He was 6'2". He wasn't that big of a guy. He's 6'2", like 180 pounds. Not a huge man. Mm-hmm. But uh, he said he didn't just hit pitchers. He took away their dignity. That's what one pitcher said. <laughs> oh, my God. He was, uh, he was an MVP. He was a Hall of Famer. Uh, he was known as Pops. He was the leader of the Pittsburgh Pirates. He had been with them since 1962. He played his whole career with them. Hmm. About 20-plus years. Jesus. And Dave Parker was kind of the new hot shot. He'd been with the team for about uh, five, six years at this point. 6'5", 230 pounds. Jesus. He would, uh, in, instead of cutting an apple, he would just rip it in half and eat it with his hands. Good God. One time... Ah! <laughs> he's, really? Yeah. He's a hungry boy. <laughs> Sounds like something Andre the Giant would do. Yeah. In, yeah. Uh, one time he hit the ball so hard the cover came off of it. He literally hit the cover off the ball. No shit. Uh, he hit the longest home run in minor league history. He hit a ball that landed in a coal car, and the coal car eventually went over to Ohio. So he hit a home run th- over two states. Wow. Very nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he was a flashy guy. He, he, uh, the P- Pirates were the first team the MLB allowed to have earrings. He always wore a nice earring. Mm. He wore a Star of David around his neck. Mm. He wasn't Jewish, but they asked him why. He said, well, I'm a star, and my name is David. Oh, my God. That's good stuff. That is legendary. <laughs> God. And in 1978, he was the most valuable player of the major leagues. Mm, shalom. And uh, so there's... Mahalo. <laughs> <laughs> and this Pirates team was close. Uh, with Stardrill as their pop, they, they were a family of sorts. They took on the moniker uh, from the uh, uh, the Sister Sledge song, We Are Family. Uh, Stardor heard, heard that one day, and he went up to the uh, announcement booth and said, This is our song now. You're going to play this before every game. Really? And they did. And he's swinging a sledgehammer. <laughs> you don't fuck yeah, with that Yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of debate there. No. Uh, you know, it was, it was a diverse team. There's only like 35 guys on a roster or so. 11 of them were black. Four were Hispanic. Uh, they play, you know, they were a very close knit bunch. Despite these things, you know, they 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 would joke around, and laugh, and and play and and giggle, and uh, they no one got angry at the different types of music they would play. Uh, they had a their their manager was a, this guy named uh, 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 Chuck Tanner. He was from Pittsburgh. He arrived in the team in a trade. Hmm. Their owner traded for him. Really, which you huh. usually don't trade for a manager. Yeah, interesting. Their owner at the time was this weird guy named Charlie Finley. Uh, he once made his own mascot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a donkey. He painted an O on it, and he he would bring it to parties. <laughs> oh, what? He once paid his players uh, in honor of Mustache Day. He paid any player who grew a mustache three hundred dollars. Wow! Yeah, nice. fun. They had some characters. This guy Burt Blylevin, who was a, a a total old school type pitcher, a total total asshole on the mound. Anybody who walked on the mound, he'd say, "Get off my damn mound." Yeah, really. Uh, and they also had this guy. Uh, this real goofball. By the name of Dale Barra. I'm going to show you a picture of Dale Barra because I need you to remember this picture. Okay. This is Dale Barra. He's Yogi Barra's son. Oh. And oh, uh, Yogi boy. Barra's wife must have been a complete angel to make a boy that even looks that decent. Yeah. Coming With, from Yogi. Yeah. So that's Dale Barra. Jesus. Barra. Remember that picture. <laughs> oh, God. Mm. Mm-hmm. He's got a handsome little mustache. Bushy. Yeah. Bushy. Very uh, good for... Chop storage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this was the team that Kevin Koch joined. And uh, 
he became a sort of local celebrity for him. You know, they never really had a mascot. Pittsburgh wasn't the type of town who, who took to mascots, you know, all these blue-collar workers. But he won them over. He became a local celebrity. And he'd work his ass off during the games. The players all respected him. Uh, every game, he would, he would lose six pounds sweating. Jesus Christ, in the suit? In the suit. He Good wore this Lord big parrot Almighty. head. That's pretty cool, man. One game, uh, it reached 135 degrees in the suit. He passed out twice. He still finished the game. He lost 14 pounds that day. But uh, he would make $25 a game, and after the first season, the team liked him so much, they, they, uh, they said he could make up to $40,000 that year. Whoa! Hey, dancing around in a suit, losing weight? Sign me up. Yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ, you're fucking killing yourself. And so for him, he, was, he said he was young, single, and he was taken on the world. It was, you know, a local lad playing with his heroes now, and yeah. one of them. And uh, so uh, everything is going relatively, relatively normal. 78, they, they finished second. 79 was going to be their year. And uh, it's at, in 79, in November 1979, it's the offseason of baseball. Dave Parker's taking a flight to Tokyo to play some, uh, play some, uh, some ball out there. And uh, there's this guy sitting next to him named Shelby Greer, a local lad. Mm-hmm. And Shelby notices when the seatbelt light on the plane uh, turns off, immediately Dave Parker runs to the bathroom. Mm. And then he comes out and he sits down and he's sniffling a lot. Mm. And Shelby goes, oh, I know what's going on here. So he says, now it's my turn. So he goes to the bathroom. Mm. And he's he does a couple uh, bumps of coke, mm-hmm. and it's good shit. He's do is he doing uh, Parker's blow? No, not yet. Hold on. Oh, it's his own. It's his own. Uh-huh. Shelby Greer was a he was a local guy. He was an oil and gas surveyor. He was twenty three, mm-hmm. and but he, he brought his own chop on the on the flight. He was making a ton of money, mm-hmm. and uh, one day someone offers him chop a couple years ago, and he said I, he loved it so much, and he knew he wanted to do chop, but he only wanted to do the best chop. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're gonna do something, you do it right. And so his goal. <laughs> Was if there's ever chop, I want to make sure people are doing the good shit. Yeah. He would carry a, a kit with him to test the quality and the purity. Oh, Jesus. And and through his business, he would fly around a lot and 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 to different cities. Right. And you know, one time he went to Gainesville and he would rent a car there and he'd drive to Miami for a lot of and buy a pound of chop, ah. stuff it in his raincoat, and get on a plane and fly back. <laughs> a pound. A pound. In, in his raincoat. In his raincoat. Wow. Nothing to see here. Chop aficionado. So he sees Parker do this, and he goes in the bathroom, and he does his his bumps, and he takes a little bag, and he fills it up with Coke, and he walks back, and he says to Parker, he says, here's thank you for the $500 I won off you guys last week. It was a lie. He's just trying to think of something to say. Hmm. So Parker takes it, he goes to the bathroom, and he comes back, and Parker goes, holy shit, I haven't had shit that good since I was in Venezuela. (laughs) (laughs) Because in 76, Parker played summer ball in Venezuela, and he loved the Coke. Right. So Parker says, where are you getting off? And Greer says, I'm getting off in Denver. So Parker gets off the flight in Denver. He's supposed to keep going to Tokyo. He gets off, detours to Greer's apartment in Denver. He has another apartment <laughs> where they do, they do a bunch of Coke. And uh, Parker buys two grams off him for $120. Oh. And Greer doesn't make any profit off this. Right. He's just like, hey, this is a fun thing. I'm, I'm down to just hang out with these cool guys. Right. He loves good chop. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so from this, uh, he Parker starts inviting him to all the all the parties, mm. all the all the outings. He starts being like, "Hey, I'm going on the road. You want to meet me somewhere?" Yeah. And you know, base, you know, there's so much drugs in, in baseball. Cocaine was just another drug, right? You know, from uh, Carl Yastrzemski used to have a bottle called Superman on it, and it was just full of amphetamines. Will, Willie Mays would have this red juice in his locker. It was just liquid speed. Oh my God! Mm. And uh, they said that Steve Carlton, when he was pitching, he would make all these weird faces. 
And the broadcasters wouldn't know it was up. All the players knew he was hopped up on, on amphetamines. Really? Yeah, because he was just he was ticking all the time. Jesus Christ. So, you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, man. That's right. <laughs> How bad do you want to win? There's a whole city uh, resting on your shoulders. Right, on your jittery-ass shoulders. Yeah, dude, results. <laughs> so that 79 season was amazing for Pittsburgh. They won the World Series that year. Everybody was in great spirits. You know, uh, and so the 80s season was supposed to be the, the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And Shelby Greer meets Parker after the World Series, and that's when they start hanging out together. And uh, during the 80s seasons, it's uh, spring training. It's like uh, April or May or whatever. And they go down to Puerto Rico. And uh, Dale Barra, remember Dale Barra? Mm-hmm. He, uh, he's been doing chops since 78 when he, he tried it out on a New Year's party. And he always, he's like, wow, this is great. <laughs> And he's hanging out with Parker, and he goes, Parker, he, he asked me, he said, uh, he asked me if he ever used cocaine, and Parker just brushed him off. And then that night, there's a knock on his hotel door, and Parker's there with a duffel bag, and he says, does this answer your question? Jeez. Oh, my God. A duffel bag? Yeah. <laughs> Dad, have any cute sayings about this? <laughs> <laughs> and so combine this with Shelby Greer, and now Shelby Greer is flying to Denver. He's flying wherever they go, and he's buying a half ounce from Venezuelan college kids, and he's flying to San Diego where he'll meet Parker, and uh, Parker will pay him money, and then all of a sudden the, t- the other the rest of the team's getting in, and Parker's paying him for other people's chop now. And uh, everybody knew it, and everywhere they went, Greer would sell to other teams. He would be after the game was over. He'd stand out in front of the ballpark, just selling to players. Good God! <laughs> He's still in the parrot suit? No, no this is Shelby Greer. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't the only guy. There's this guy named Curtis Strong. He was a Philadelphia chef. He would be selling to players in Philadelphia, and then in oh. Atlanta, and Pittsburgh, New York, and Kansas City. Really? So there was just the players wanted chop, and yeah. there were some guys who, who could get it for him. A couple of weirdos. And so the '80 season wasn't that remarkable. The, the Pirates finished. I think they finished third. They didn't have a great season, but, you know, they were still a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. Things were looking up. And then in 1981, two things joined the Pittsburgh Pirates. One of them was more cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can we trade uh, Yastrzemski uh, for an April? <laughs> and the other thing was this pitcher by the name of Rod Scurry. Mm. Now, Rod Scurry was a high school phenom. All he ever wanted to do was pitch. He just wanted to play baseball. They'd, he'd be in all these interviews, and they'd be like, well, what do you like? He's like, baseball. What do you want to do? Baseball. Really? It was just his life. Nothing else mattered to him except for baseball. He is a lefty. had a great curveball. You know, a lefty with a good curveball in baseball is something that's it's not easy to find. Every team has one good lefty, basically. Right. And uh, the first time he used cocaine was in the minors. He went fishing at 5 a.m., and he did a gram of coke. He did a gram of coke at five in the morning, like straight away. Yeah, fishing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Caught a whole mess of tarpon. You know, when I'm out there up early, just looking for a nice, relaxing day out on the lake, sun's just coming up. <laughs> I like to bump a gram. Yeah. <laughs> to the dome. <laughs> to the dome. Talking to the fish, talking to death. Mm. And uh, he he played in the minors with Dale Barra, so. They had a cocaine connection between them, mm. and they both enjoyed chopping it up. <laughs> and so the 81 season, uh, Curry has his first uh, success with the Pirates. He, uh, the first game he starts, he goes seven innings, shut out baseball. He gets the win. The headline in the newspaper that night said, Scurry can't sleep on major success. Oh, yeah. Because the, the, he told reporters he couldn't sleep the night before. Wow. And they were like, wow, this young kid, man, he's got so much energy. Even his coaches were like, well, sometimes players, you know, they don't sleep, but they take it out on the other team, and that's what we want. 
But Jesus. of course he didn't tell him that he was up all night doing chop. Right, 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 of course. And uh, during this time, uh, Scurry becomes friends with the parrot, Kevin Cook. <laughs> Coke. <laughs> he becomes friends with the Coke parrot. The Coke parrot. <laughs> Can you imagine? And, uh, Where do I get some chop? <laughs> Talk to the parrot. Talk to the giant parrot. Scurry was... <laughs> parrot! You know, big He'll bird? talk back to you. <laughs> he won't shut up. <laughs> he's coked up, sweating like a pig. <laughs> the parrot won't stop talking because he's so chopped. <laughs> so Scurry... Uh... I really like you guys. <laughs> you guys want to go to business together? <laughs> I met you guys tonight, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Now, Coke didn't really want to be the middleman, and uh, Scurry became friends with him through Coke's uh, uh, sister, who was married to a minor leaguer that Scurry was friends with, and that's how they became close. So, But Coke said, well, I don't want to be the middleman. I'll give you the number of my friend Dale Schiffman, mm-hmm. the, the, the part-time photographer and his old friend. And So then Scurry started just, everybody would just call Schiffman. They would call before a game, Barra and Scurry would call Coke to call Schiffman, before the game, Coke would go to Schiffman's house, pick up the chop, and then bring it to the clubhouse. And at this time in 1981, Greer's having so much fun doing Coke and hanging out with pirates that he moves back to Pittsburgh full-time. And he becomes a regular face in the clubhouse. Everybody knows him as, oh, that's Parker's guy. Hmm. They just let the guy into the clubhouse? Yeah. Dave Parker was a big star, and, you know, he wanted to, his friends to be around, so he was happy. Huh. There's no, there's no rules back then. You could be entourage I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. You know? Maybe. More power to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pendulum swinging. Yeah. yeah, I think they were swinging. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah. You, you, you got to swing at pitches, you know? <laughs> you Absolutely. do, yeah. You can't Absolutely. just draw logs off there. Yeah. Uh, and so another, the first baseman's part-time outfielder on this team is a guy named uh, Dave Milner. Parker and Milner, after games, they would just drive around Pittsburgh all night, just snorting coke until they were out, and then they would part ways. What the fuck? Really? Mm-hmm. Just driving around steel mills and chopping it up. Mm-hmm. Good for them. Yeah. You know, that sounds miserable. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, oh, really? From sunny California? That's, you know, like the overcast factory tour while getting And driving around night. coked up after a baseball game? Yeah. Go to sleep! Yeah. I really like baseball. Do you? I do. <laughs> yeah, man. I love it so much. Balls, <laughs> stitches, bats, yeah, walks. I like the I like the exercise. We get to wear belts. <laughs> Are you, our sports uniform has a belt. I love slapping other dudes on the ass. And... Stirrups, mm-hmm. mounds, bases, all of it. What about you? Yeah, yeah. me too. I, I love, love chewing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, a steel mill. <laughs> I wonder what they're doing in there. Are they chopping it up in there? And also in 1981... Uh, Major League Baseball Major League Baseball went on strike for two months. And so during this time the players had a lot of downtime. And they filled that with chop. Oh yeah. And uh, they would all, you know, every night they'd be going to clubs and bars. Coke would just be on the tables. It didn't... It, anybody who had it was the toast of the town, basically. Right. They were doing picket lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, during the strike they were doing balls. <laughs> Balls and strikes. Uh, <laughs> Schiffman had this uh, this system he would do to let uh, let the ladies know that he had coke. This was his uh, his patented move. <laughs> I have coke. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
No, it's even sneakier than that. He, what he'd do is he'd keep his coke in one in one pocket, and he'd keep his money in the other pocket, and then he'd offer to buy a woman a drink, and she'd say yes, and he'd reach in his coke pocket and accidentally pull the coke out and go, <sighs> oops, and then he would put a finger to his lips and say, if you don't tell anybody, you can have some. Ah. Uh, Smooth. John, write that down. Okay. And the women would swoon. Yeah. Coke swoon. But I love cocaine. <laughs> Never oh. mind the drink. Oh. Do you have one of those nasal douches? <laughs> I don't want to be snorting it out of the shag yeah. carpet later. Or, or a wet finger. <laughs> <laughs> or the bottom of a Cadillac Eldorado. Do you have a hooter? <laughs> In 1982, the team finished third. They were not as good as they had been, but still, much like Pittsburgh... <laughs> they haven't slept. <laughs> well, it doesn't help. They're having a great time. Much like Pittsburgh, things were still going well enough where the boom hadn't yet busted. Right. And in 1982, they said, well, we made it this far. Let's do more. <laughs> the chop don't stop, baby. <laughs> By this point, Dale Barra, Dave Parker, Ron Scurry, and outfielder Lee Lacey would share seven grams a week between them. Oh my Christ. It would just be one of those things, I don't have any chop, do you? Yeah, all right, let's do your chop. Wow. wow. Four guys splitting a gram a week? Spit, yeah, uh, seven guys uh, splitting a gram a week. Or no, I'm sorry, four guys splitting seven grams a week. Oh my God. Yeah, so it's even worse. Yeah. But as I mean, a gram a day per guy. Yeah. That yeah. is uh, out of control. Extra. Very much. extra. Very, very extra. And uh, it got to the point, so before the, even their home opener, before the first home game that season, the first thing they did was made sure that they had chops set up so they could do it before the game. <laughs> and it's about this time that Dale's, uh, uh, Ron Scurry, he meets a local air conditioning businessman named Kevin Connolly during a double date. And uh, they do a little bit of coke, mm. and... They have such a great time. With each other? With their dates, too. <laughs> it's a foursome. In the bathroom, like, hey, man, you know, my date's great and all, but you and me, this chop, we really got something going here, huh? Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know I play baseball? <laughs> you want to go for I, a drive? I do air conditioning. <laughs> baseball sounds way better. Uh, and they have such a good time, they go out the next Friday, and they do it again. And it gets to the point where, where Connolly can't keep up. He can't, he can't afford to throw $50, $100, $150, $200. These are the major leagues. Right. And he has a brilliant idea. He says, well, in order to break even, I just want to do free Coke. I'll buy a bunch of Coke and sell it, and then I'll just do enough that I break even. Hmm. And so uh, he started buying quarter ounces. Hmm. And then he met Dale Barron. Dale wanted some, so he started buying quarter kilograms. And then he started buying kilograms. Oh, boy. But it wasn't... Again, it hadn't busted yet. 1982 was the best year of Scurry's career. Wow. He was one of the best left-hand pitchers in baseball. He had a curveball that some would say was the best in baseball. Really? By uh, modern statistics, he was wor- he was the fourth most... Uh, uh, he was worth the fourth... He was the fourth best player on the uh, the Pirates by modern statistics. This thing mm-hmm. called win shares, mm-hmm. where he, he, he won... In essence, he won the fourth most games for them. Combining all of the stats, mm-hmm. these fancy stats, and uh, and so he was able to convince himself that 
if I had this good of a year, the Coke's not a problem. Yeah. And so now he was buying, he would buy from Connolly and Shipman, and then he'd go on the road and he'd meet other people like Curtis Strong or, or, or Shelby Greer would travel with the team. And so there was always Coke no matter where they went. Any game they played, they could do Coke before the game. They could hang out all night and do Coke after the game. Jesus. But the team didn't do that well. The team finished fourth this year. Right. Mm. No, they haven't done enough. And yeah. <laughs> Must be some bad shit. <laughs> and there was even one player who was his first time starting consistently for the team, and he finished second in errors uh, you know, in the major leagues. <laughs> Jesus. That man was Dale Barra. Really? Uh, wow. And uh, in 1982, though, um, you know, the steel industry was starting to crumble more. Uh, from 79 to 82, the steel industry lost 150,000 jobs. Good in one God. year, it lost $3 billion. Whew. The globalization of steel was slowly destroying this, uh, this town, and uh, the cocaine was slowly destroying this team. Wow. 1983 was the peak year for cocaine, for pirates, maybe everywhere, who knows. Uh, Kevin Connolly was now driving to Miami to trade $40,000 for two kilos of cocaine uh, regularly. I don't know if it's once a week or once a month, but that's a lot of money. Yeah. And what they would do, here's how he would get around security. This is a fun trick. So first you take the big block of Coke, and you put it in a plastic bag. Then you place that bag inside of another bag. Then you dip that bag in mustard. Then you take that bag, and you put it in a bag full of coffee beans. Mm-hmm. And then you sew it into your jacket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's the most chopped up idea yeah. I've ever yeah, who heard. Who thought of that? Man, he's a deal man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you want to get through security? You got any Coleman's? <laughs> is this, what is this? Folges? What is this shit? <laughs> Coleman's and Folges. And uh, so Golden's. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you got a taste of choice shit. <laughs> yeah, is it stone ground? What kind of mustard do you? <laughs> I got mustard. Listen, I deal with baseball people. I got mustard all over me. <laughs> all right. <laughs> it's just... Sir, is that mustard coming out of your jacket? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fucking friends with the pirates. What do you care? And so the pirates' colors is yellow and it's good. Gold, it's gold and black, yeah. black and gold. I like my mustard golden and I like my coffee black. I like my players and my chop white. Yeah. This chop smells like coffee mustard. <laughs> I don't know if it's the coffee or the chop, but I got a shit. It's Colombian. Which one? <laughs> so so Connolly is going down to Miami and he's buying he's he's buying coke from everywhere he would go onto these these boats out of Miami Vice these boats riddled with bullets but they're nice they're nice boats oh my god yeah. <laughs> what the fuck uh, oh no it, those are houses riddled with bullets the the boats were called cigarette boats mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so boats that did smuggle cigarettes there and sometimes he would just meet people in parking lots sometimes there would be parking lots with five or six cars Every, all of their trunks would be open with a guy standing in front of it going, try mine, try mine, try mine. And oh. each trunk had five, six, seven kilos of coke in it. No fucking way. So you just do the rounds being like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll try that one, I'll try that one. Wow. And uh, Which one of these goes well with mustard? <laughs> <laughs> and now at this point, Scurry is buying coke from Schiffman before every game. So it, so you, every single game, he is in the dugout. He's completely high on coke before the game, after the game, and the, you know. But the dealers are having a great time. 
the, the dealers are having a great time. They are. They're having a great time. Everywhere they go, people know who they are. Yeah. They get primo seating in the clubs. Yeah. They're hanging out with famous athletes. You know, they're friends with these athletes, too. They're friends with the most popular people in town. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the night, they would go to a bar, and then the bar would close. They'd go to another bar. They would sell. They'd go to another bar and sell. They were making $2,800 every Friday and Saturday. Uh, every week, they were, you know, they would make $13,000, but they weren't making any money from the players. Because the players are very stodgy with their money. Really? They would say things like, oh, I'll get you later. I got some now, so, you know, I owe you, but I got some coke on me now, so I'll, I'll pay you later for, for the other stuff. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Dave Parker would, instead of paying uh, uh, Shelby Greer, they would, they would play backgammon and gamble for it. And then Parker would just win some coke off of him or settle some of his losses by mm. beating Greer in backgammon. Uh, or they would borrow money from dealers to pay other dealers. Good God. In fact, one player, uh, he would always pay with a check. That player was Dale Barra. (laughs) (laughs) One of the dealers would say, no one wants to explain why I have a bunch of Dale Barra checks made out to cash. (laughs) (laughs) Or one of his checks was was written out uh, for $6,200 and it would bounce. Son of a major leaguer. Oh my God. But, you know, these guys, were the dealers were getting perks. They were sleeping with a lot of women. Sure, they have access because mm-hmm. of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. Ke- Kevin Koch, uh, the parrot, became very popular in town. He was judging bikini contests. He was sleeping. He tells this one story. He was judging bikini contest <laughs> on the first floor of a bar. And between rounds, he would run up to the second floor where there's a private room. And he'd do a bunch of coke. And then he'd run back down and <laughs> judge the bikinis and then uh, run back up. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> Dale Schiffman started hanging out with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He became friends with the hockey players there. Mm. Uh, you know, these were his heroes, and now he's hanging out just as a regular guy. And, you know, because Coke was everywhere back then. Jack Nicholson and Waylon Jennings were featured in People magazine as, like, fancy Coke guys. Wow. Lawyers were doing it. Doctors, front office management, and the teams were doing it. Other players were doing it. Uh, Paul Molitor on the Brewers. He once had the police called to his house in 1980 just to see if he was still alive. Yeah. Because he had done so much Coke. Uh, Tim Raines is a Hall of Fame uh, baseball player, second most stolen bases ever. He would carry Coke with him on the field, mm-hmm. and he would always slide head first so he wouldn't break the Coke vials in his back pocket. No. Mm-hmm. That's it. it gave oh him the nickname my. Tim Rock Raines. Wow. No way. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Uh, it, in the early 80s, three Kansas City Royals were jailed for cocaine possession. And uh, one of the players, Vita Blue, he said, uh, if you were to make a case against everybody who uses drugs in pro sports, you might have to close down some of the teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at you, Pittsburgh. Yeah. We are family. Well, by then they weren't. Oh. The, they uh, weren't family anymore? No. Wait, what? Mom? <laughs> by, by 83, Stargell had retired, and the fam- familial atmosphere had broken up. Now there would just be groups of players doing their thing. The Coke guys would be one here, would here, and the other guys would be over there, and everyone was very separated. How paranoid do you think they're talking about? Us? Here, Pessy, give me the hooter. How come that guy doesn't do job? Whose job does he do? I do pennies. Queers. And so after after a World Series, now it's it's three four years later, and the team isn't playing as well. They're struggling. The fans are getting angry. It got so bad that uh, people were throwing stuff at Dave Parker. One fan almost hit him with a D battery. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things for Parker 
you know, by then he had, uh, I, th- I think it was by then he had quit Coke, he had, he had a daughter, and he realized, like, I love baseball more than Coke, I love my daughter more than Coke, I, I love life more than Coke. But he was also a very flashy guy, and he's a big black man, and I think in Pittsburgh, you know, that's a tough combination. Yeah. Especially back then. I don't know about today. Don't email me. <laughs> uh, and things were things were getting even worse. One day after finishing work, Kevin Connolly goes home and he turns on the Pirates game, and he sees uh, he's, the game's not over, and he sees oh, there's a lefty in the on deck circle. So Rod Scurry's probably coming in. Turns out there's a knock on his door. Rod Scurry's at his door asking for Coke when he should Uh-oh. be at when the he game. should be in the bullpen. Oh yikes! At 4 a.m., Dave Parker got a call from Shelby Greer, and he said, uh, Shelby Greer said, there's this, there's this player in, in my apartment. He's tearing it up looking for Coke. He's tearing it up. That player was Dale Barra. <laughs> <laughs> He's tearing it up, dude. One time uh, during a game, Dale Barra, it, it, he was standing on first base. He was leading off. He was taking his lead from first base. It was a 3-0 count. Nothing was really happening. He got picked off from first base. Basically stopped paying attention. To everything they said, the players said they had to talk to him all the time during the game to keep his focus. Jesus up. Christ! So he made eight er- errors in 1981. In 1982, he made 30. In 1983, he made 30 again. Oh my God! Uh, every day, Cur- in every game, Cur- Scurry would fall asleep in the bullpen. One time, he fell asleep standing up in the outfield during batting practice. These guys were just staying up all night doing coke, and the only oh time God. they got to sleep was when they got to the ballpark. Yeah. Uh. And now Scurry's stats were were not as good. His ERA jumped three uh, three four percentage uh, uh, or three hundred percent. He suddenly he wasn't the best lefty in baseball. He had one great year, and suddenly everything was falling apart for him. And uh, he was at this point he was just playing baseball so he could pay for coke. Wow. Uh, he was doing up to nine grams a night at times. No, oh. no, 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 no. Really? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, no? No. It's like the fucking longbowmen who are shooting <laughs> 400 fucking yards. No. Nine grams a night? Then this guy is a, a specimen and he should be in the major leagues. <laughs> he's a chop factory. Nine grams? He's got, he's got uh, you know, what do they call it? Chop nose? No. Deep-gated no. septum? He's got, he's got, you know. Ball uh, peen hammer? He's got, um, you know, he's worked up a... Tolerance. Tolerance. Oh, right. Well. That's a yikes amount of chop. That's too. a lot of chop. It is. No, maybe it's not every night, but, but still, still for oh, one oh night. God. And yet, the mirage was still there. Somehow the Pirates finished second that year. Somehow. I bet you know what they thought it was. Uh, I think... <laughs> <laughs> now... 1984, the off-season, uh, Rod Scurry goes, he, he, he's all chopped out, and he's freaking out. <laughs> and he decides he's going to go home, back to his family, just to, to get back into life. But he makes this mistake. He doesn't stay with his family. He decides he's going to go to a hotel and clean himself up. Mm. And he spends the entire off-season just doing coke in his hotel. Yikes. Just like a few miles away from his family. Oh. Uh. And... Uh, by this point now, all of this, you know, the teammates, they, they realized something was going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point during the, the, the next eight, 1984 season, Rod Scurry's on the phone with his dad, and he just blacks out. 
And his dad hangs up and calls this other pitcher, and the pitcher goes in, and and the the guy he makes a deal with Scurry. He's like, hey, here, here's what happens: either you you stop on your own, or I force you to stop, or uh, or you, you have to leave the team. Hmm. And so Scurry's like, okay, fine, we'll uh, I'll stop. And they, so he okay, so this pitcher they he hangs out with him for the rest of the night. They have some Dom Perignon, eat some crackers, go to bed. Scurry calls his dealer and goes gets more coke. Wow. And then one time in 1984, he's in Los I believe he's in Los Angeles, and he's doing a lot of coke in his room. And Him? Yeah. No. <laughs> and the psychosis hits. Oh, chop yikes. psychosis. Suddenly, his room is full of snakes. There's no. cameras in his television. He hates oh. this. And he goes crazy. He tears apart his whole room, smashes his television to find the cameras. And the whole team, not the whole team, but some players show up. They block the security from, like, coming in. They say, we'll take care of it. And the team sends him off to rehab. And they say, hey, you know, the, the, the news of that was, hey, guys, you know, Scurry has a little bit of a problem. He's going to rehab. He's going to take care of it. Not a big deal. Everything is fine. Grab his coke. <laughs> Grab all his coke. He goes, to, he goes to rehab for 28 days. He's pronounced clean. And they send him back. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. You know, because back then, there, there was no there was no system in place to deal with coke addiction. Right. There wasn't a process. He was at his rehab. They gave him a mound. He pitched. He, everybody, there was a facade of cleanliness to it all. But his parents and his brother visited him, and they said, no, he's still broken. But the team took him back in. Everybody said, the problem is solved. You know, but a guy like Kevin Connolly, he saw it. He's like, that was a total fucking sham. Yeah. Really? I know how much coke that guy was doing. There's no mounds. way he's clean. He's doing mounds of coke. Yeah. And around this time, the FBI takes notice in uh, this player going to rehab. There's been a lot of rumors uh-huh. throughout all of these major league cities of all this coke happening. And the FBI, they say, okay, why is this guy in rehab? And so they, they, they go and they interview him and they, uh, they find out everything. No. He gives up everybody. Oh, he can't stop talking. He's all chopped up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you want to know? <laughs> I'll tell you. And then one day, just following some people around, they 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 pinch this low-level coke dealer who's friends with one of the pitchers on the Pirates. This guy named Dom Robinson, the guy who went to check on Scurry that one time. And this dealer, he tells the FBI about Dale Barra. He tells them about Scurry. They interview Barra, uh, and then while they're interviewing Barra, they get a call from the Pittsburgh front office, and the Pittsburgh says, "Hey, there's this guy named Shelby Greer. He's always hanging out. Maybe you should look up him." Because the Pittsburgh front office is like, well... Stay away from our players. Yeah. Look at the, the guy who's hanging Look out. Look at the dealers. And now everyone's starting to freak out. All of the players, all of the dealers, they all feel like someone's following them. They all feel like they're being watched. Uh, and, you know, because they were. <laughs> right. They weren't wrong. <laughs> they're all on the team bus like Henry Hill. And- <laughs> yeah, there's helicopters. Helicopters around the whole fucking chop team. Yeah, there's even one player. Choppers. <laughs> there's choppers around. And Henry Hill, by the way, is going is dealing with Pittsburgh. In yeah, that fucking he scene. is. Fuck. <laughs> and so all the players knew that they could they could be next for for some sort of thing. One one of the players he injured his elbow, and the FBI knew he was in the hospital for a couple of days. So they go down to the hospital to go find him. Turns out he had just jumped out and run off, and he was out buying coke. Yeah. That man was Dale Barra. Oh, uh, Dale. He'd gone to Kevin Connolly's house to buy more coke. Dale! So he's in the hospital for his elbow, but he he leaves to go chop it up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, not probably using his non-injured arm, you know? Sure, yeah. 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 
<laughs> this is Yogi Berra's son. Yes. Yeah. And so now the FBI is just tailing all of these guys. And they're setting up buys. They're bugging the phones. So they know who's going where. And, you know, they're following the dealers when they go to these players' houses. And just wow. seeing, you know, they follow the, one of the dealers. And I think it was might have been Kevin Connolly. They follow him to this, this rich upscale neighborhood in Pittsburgh. A ball player opens the door. He's wearing a bathrobe, buys the Coke, walk close to the door, walk back and walks back inside. That man was Dale Barra. Wow. <laughs> you boys want to play some baseball? <laughs> He's Chinese. <laughs> it was 3 p.m., and it was his second purchase of the day. Oh, oh my, my God. God. What is it with guys in robes and Coke? They love it. You know, robes, John. <laughs> <laughs> They're for Frenchmen and homosexuals. Yes. That's right. And Coke fiends. <laughs> Coke daddies. Coke daddies. And so now that even the dealers are having their own troubles with doing so much Coke. Uh, Kevin Connolly once did 17 ounces in 17 days, he said. No, dude, what? (laughs) (laughs) What did he eat? (laughs) He was probably eating the chuck. They should have changed their name to the Cocaine Bears. (laughs) (laughs) The Pablo Esco Bears. (laughs) That's incredible amounts of chop. Insane. Do you think they had a, just a full deuce shit of chop? Like they shot yeah, out, like out, out, and they, they just chopped it up again. Yeah, like they shot out, they shot out this brick, this, this misty hash of fog. Of... <laughs> it's you know, it's better the second time around. Yeah, that's right here. Kicks it up a notch. <laughs> Kicks it up a notch. <laughs> no. It's too much, Aaron. It's too much. It's, it's too a, much. This shit tastes like mustard and coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so now Rod Scurry, he keeps getting interviewed by the FBI, and they keep finding out more information, and they also notice that every time he leaves the interviews, he goes and buys more Coke. <sighs> After being interviewed by the FBI. Mm-hmm. They're probably goes, cool with it because it keeps him talking, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. This guy never shuts up. Yeah. That's very, very good. That's very, very good, Aaron. Yeah, I was in the FBI once. (laughs) So the FBI, they finally have enough on Kevin Connolly. They raid his house. They find nine ounces of Coke. A day's worth. That's all? Yeah, not much. He's (laughs) he's, been cutting down. Yeah. Or he's putting it in. Yeah. (laughs) You would have had more. You should have come an hour ago. I know. It's almost, Hold on, i got to take a shit. It's almost, guys, it's almost 2.30 in the afternoon. You should have come. You should have come at the crack of dawn. Delivery boy's coming. The, you're going to see a giant parrot coming to the door. He's going to smell like Folgers and Coleman's. And uh, the FBI uses Kevin Connolly to they connect him with Shelby Greer, and then they start tailing Greer, and they figure out how he works, how he deals his coke. One of the things he would do is there are these two bars literally next to each other in Pittsburgh. He would go to one bar, buy a beer, uh, put his take a couple sips, leave, go to another bar, buy a beer, take a couple sips, and then he would just keep walking back and forth. That way, anybody at either bar would know he was there and would buy coke off of him. Hmm. Hmm. And then he would never lose his spot at the bar because his beer's there. Right. Oh, some, yeah. Never got roofied, huh? <laughs> Very strategic use of piss. Uh-huh. Yes. Hmm. And uh, so they connect. They they catch Greer. Then they they connect uh, Kevin Coke, 
and they say, hey, we, you know, Coke, you know, all of these dealers, they're saying to themselves, I'm not making money from these players. How can no. I really like get, in, how can I get in trouble? I'm just breaking even. It didn't seem, right. until the FBI shows up, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. Right. You know, I'm not making tons of money. Uh, you know, right. uh, Shelby Gray got kicked out of his apartment because he couldn't pay for his apartment. Jesus. Kevin Connolly it was living in squalor, even though he owned a business. And none of his neighbors knew because they're like, his house still sucks. Ah, uh, squalor, oh, wow. Philadelphia. Yeah. Best neighborhoods outside. <laughs> Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh. That's right, sir. And uh, so from That's this, uh, the FBI convinces Kevin Koch to wear a wire. Oh, yikes. And he then buys from his friend Dale Schiffman. Mm. And the FBI now has a concrete indictment on Dale Schiffman. They have him for, they eventually charge him for 111 counts, but they only really have one, and it's the wire. The rest of them can be explained like, oh, I wasn't here, I was over mm. here, because mm. the rest of it was kind of hearsay. Yeah. And then eventually, they break one player who gives them everybody's name, <gasps> gives them the whole deal. After the interview, this player goes and he buys more Coke. Who is this player, <laughs> Matt? That man was Dale Bear. <laughs> Dale! <laughs> oh, what a stooge, man. What a stooge. Smart rat. God, good for him. Yeah. Bro. I yeah. mean, God, I like... Make his dad proud. He <laughs> can't help but love him. <laughs> I'll tell you everything you want to know. It's this guy, and and he's chopping it up, and this dude gets his chop from this dude, but they don't share with me, so that's this dude... And all right, I'm gonna be out. Of, I'm I'm out of here. I'm gonna go. I gotta I gotta do a thing. I'll be back. <laughs> do I get a phone call? I'll be back. So just don't. Just hold on. I just gotta see this dude. He's a parrot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a fucking ounce in his mustache. He's got a big coke mustache. <laughs> Yeah, like don't have a mustache if that's your. That's deal. probably where it all went. Oh yeah, nine nine, <laughs> nine grams a night. It's in your fucking yeah. beard, you idiot. I'm not even high. <laughs> Dude, I can just do this stuff all night. I don't get a hangover. <laughs> fucking shag carpet on your upper lip, you idiot. <laughs> and so now everybody's getting arrested, and the FBI has. Uh, the, I, 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 I believe it was the, um, the, the, the attorney for Pennsylvania, the, uh, DA, or the DA of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. He brings a case um, against all of these players and against this one dealer named Curtis Strong, who they are able to connect to all of these different cities. And, but their reason, they give all of the players immunity. And their reasoning for this is that you don't charge the buyers, you charge the dealers. Uh huh. Which uh is -huh. very convenient for all the players. Sure. Yeah. America's pastime. Uh huh. Uh, but it also so but it also means now the players are free to just like just come out and be honest and open and and so Curtis Strong is put on trial and his lawyer is this local guy named Adam Renfro and Renfro's idea to get Strong off is to put Major League Baseball on trial. <laughs> it sucks. The games are too long. <laughs> 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 yeah, and that's why they're doing coke. There's, lot, gotta, of, there's a lot of downtime. Yeah, gotta, there's a lot of downtime. Just to stay awake to the goddamn thing. <laughs> we don't want to cause no trouble. We just want to do the, whatever. And so, so Renfro calls all of these players who have immunity to the stand, 
to tell their story about drugs and baseball. Jesus Christ, what a fucking shit show. I love to get chopped. I love it. Next. I hit the ball. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Now some of them some of them were like that, but most of the players were very honest and open about their cocaine use. Uh Lonnie Smith was a, a career major leaguer. Uh he was very honest. He said this I used I would do it all night. I'd be too jittery to play. Uh here are the people I would do it with. I would you know, because every team had guys who were doing coke. Yeah. And so anytime someone got traded, now they knew double the amount of people who were doing coke. Hell yeah. And they could say this guy, this guy, this guy. You know, but they also pointed out that everybody was doing amphetamines. Willie Mays, this was the big revelation from the trial, is that uh, pirate John Milner, he, t- he was teammates with Willie Mays, and he, he said, yeah, Willie had this liquid speed yeah. in his locker. And that's when the news really broke, because Willie was an American icon, mm-hmm. and this is the first time people had any sense that he was doing drugs. Yeah. And uh, Keith Hernandez, the great Keith Hernandez... When he was in St. Louis, he was doing coke all the time. He said, uh, he said 40% of major leaguers were probably using. And he said in 1980, he did so much coke, he forgot the entire season. Jesus Oh, my Christ. God. That's like Bowie. Yeah. yeah. Bowie forgot recording, it wasn't the Ziggy Stardust, but it was another album. He's like, ah, I just remember doing so much shot. Yeah, the Thin White Duke era. I once saw, uh, there's a there's an exhibit in Chicago with all of his costumes, and they had his coke spoon on display. Jesus. It was huge. Really? It was very nice. I think uh, what's his name uh, doesn't remember writing Naked Lunch too. Oh well, he was doing heroin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Burroughs. Yeah, I'll yeah. be doing a profile on him. Yeah, oh. no recollection of of, uh, of the writing of that book. That's interesting. It makes total sense because I don't remember reading it. Oh well, I mean, because it's out of control. It is, but I mean, imagine not doing your signature work in life. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it's what what a great gift that is for him to enjoy it as a fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, da Vinci doesn't really give a shit about the Mona Lisa, but I bet if he forgot it, he painted it. He's yeah. like, well, this is really great stuff. Who yeah. did this? Who Yeah, who wrote this book? This is nuts. <laughs> you, you dumb fuck! <laughs> this book's crazy. Oh. And so at the end of this Curtis Strong trial, Curtis Strong is convicted, and he goes to jail. Uh, his lawyer, Adam Renfro, who, who is very, would make these big scenes and would insult the jury and, and did all these things to the point where the, the, the judge was like, if you don't knock this off, you're going to be in contempt of court. At the end of the trial, the judge put him in contempt of court. And after that, he was 35 years old and he entered rehab because he also had a 16-year cocaine addiction. <laughs> he was so chopped up. As soon as you fucking Joe, you idiot! As soon as you said he was making scenes, I'm like, this guy's chopped to the gills. 35. Uh, he have been doing coke since he was 21. Oh my god! <laughs> Just screaming at the jury. I don't care what you think. <laughs> you guys are too stupid to get yeah, out of fucking yeah, jury duty. You got to be smart like yeah. me you doing chop. Yeah. I gotta go to the bathroom. I'll be back. You suck. Jury of your Ju- peers. Judge, fuck you. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, so everything, all of this stuff got out. Um, the commissioner, Peter Uberoth, for ba- commissioner of baseball, he suspended 11 players. Ooh, um, a, lot, huh? a whole 11 players. 
And um, can you imagine how chopped those eleven must have been <laughs> compared to the rest? Like they must have, they must have been, they must have been just like assholes full of blow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just the most cho- obviously chopped psychos in baseball. The fall guys. Yeah, everybody's doing it, and you gotta you gotta throw fucking Dale Barra out there because yeah. he's it's too obvious how much of a fucking chopped up idiot he is. And uh, and so after that, Peter Ubroth, he said, uh, we've done it. We've cut drugs out of baseball. Oh! In 1986, the Mets were inf- infamous for doing a shitload of drugs. Oh, yes. In the early, ni- late, early mid, late 90s, steroids are rampant in baseball. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nothing was Good really thing they fixed. cleaned that up. They cleaned it all up. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Congress, for spending <laughs> valuable tax dollars on investigating a game. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. There's uh, nothing really stopped. So Barra, uh, some of the Pirates, uh, a couple of the players, they were they were suspended for baseball, and uh, everybody just kind of said, "We've done it. Now we can move on." Hmm. Who's got the chop? Who's, Who's got, got the it? time? And. <laughs> In 1992, in Reno, Nevada, the sheriff's department got a call about disturbance outside of the ho- house of Rod Scurry. Oh, Uh-oh. God. In the, what year is this? 1992. Oh, this is years and years later. This is almost a de- about eight years later. So. Huh. Hmm. They arrive, and they find Rod Scurry on his front lawn, yelling about he has snakes crawling all over him. God damn And they're it. biting him. These fucking snakes. <sighs> so the officers, doing what they do, they tackle him to the ground, and they... Uh, they put his arms and hands, and they bind, they bind them up. Mm-hmm. And Did they get bit by the snakes? Well, it's hard to say, because <laughs> he collapsed unconscious. Wow. Four days later, he died of heart failure and a brain hemorrhage. He was 36 years old. Shit. About 12 years removed from the greatest baseball season he's ever had. Wow. And his mother said, I wish he'd never learned to throw that curveball. Oh, my uh. God. That's a big old yikes. Fuck you, Mom. <laughs> wow. He had a great life, minus the snakes. Minus the snakes. I mean, but snakes are a motherfucker. Dude, I've had it with these motherfucking <laughs> snakes in my motherfucking hotel room. Yeah, I hate it when the snakes are in the chop. I know. Oh. That's why you got a razor blade. That's why you got to chop them up. You got to chop them up. up. <laughs> yep. Damn, dude. That's yeah. crazy. That's so much chop. Yeah. yeah. A lot of snakes. Yogi Berra's kid is just, that's so funny. Pisser, dude. Yeah. What a hey, fucking you know, pisser. You guys know my dad? He would later, uh, Dale would later go uh, and play for the Yankees when Yogi was with them. Yogi was managing them for about half a season. Then when Yogi got fired, Dale was slowly, uh, you know, wasn't kicked off the team, but his playing time didn't dwindle. Politely asked. Yeah. That is good stuff. Matt, thank you. Yes. Uh-huh. I love sport. I love chop story. Yes, I do love a good chop, uh, a, a chop saga. Mm. It was a, a very, very crazy chop saga, and like I thought you were gonna go full Mets the whole time once it was chopping baseball. Yes, well, the, the the Mets definitely did a lot of chop, but they were filthy in so many ways. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, they would have food fights on planes. Oh, God, they would, you know, they would like sit on each other's faces. 
I love it. it I love it. it. And I, I love the New York Mets. You do. I do. And um, Metropolitans. Maybe that should be another uh, profile for another day. It's mm-hmm. just all yes. the fucking teabagging, chop fiend Mets. Yes. I would love that. Mm-hmm. I would really love that. They were gross. That's... They, they, yeah, they weren't like druggy. They were just gross. They called themselves vile fuckers. <laughs> they called themselves that. <laughs> We're vile fuckers, in we? <laughs> John, you are a vile. You're my mm-hmm. little vile fucker. I think so. You're my little vile fucker. But you know what I do with my vials? Is I dive head first so I don't break them. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Learn for the best. Mm-hmm. It's my business. Vile protector. <laughs> vile keeper. I will protect the vials. My people are tired. <laughs> Perhaps it's because we are in ketogenic diet. <laughs> I, I, I guess I also want to say, cocaine is not a performance-enhancing drug. Uh, <laughs> no, it's an entire, entire distraction yes. from everything you have to do Amphetamines in are a performance-enhancing yeah. drug. Sure, Coke sure. is not. No. no. And no. Dave Parker is not in the Hall of Fame, even though he has numbers better uh, uh, than Jim Rice's from Boston. Two-time Hall of Famer, two-time batting champ. Yeah. And he's not in the Hall of Fame probably because of the chop. Yeah, they just... You know, they just liked it. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. They just really liked it. Yeah. And they had a hang-up, and it was, they liked chop. Hey. And everybody's and they, different, you know. And yeah. some people love to chop it up. And some you know? people love baseball. Yeah. And sometimes those two groups are the same. And sometimes you want meth in your red drink. <laughs> hey. <laughs> and... And you know what I mean? Like everybody's everybody's a you know special snowflake, and they hey, all hey, hey, like... hey Willie, you putting sugar in your Kool Aid over there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure, sure am. <laughs> You're gonna get diabetes, dude. They didn't outlaw amphetamines in baseball until uh, until the early 2000s. Yeah. I mean, technically, amphetamines are still not outlawed at all. There's, well, not not for the general public, but I, I think... Uh, no, but I mean, like, Adderall well, and shit like that, like, it's still... Well, you're not allowed to, like, if you're in the Olympics, you can't even take, like, Viagra because it's a vasodilator mm-hmm. and really? technically a performance enhancer. Like, you can, you can get a pump on it. Mm. So they, But the thing is, with almost every drug except for weed, it's out of your system days, hours right. later. Yeah. So you can get sky high on CHOP or, or amphetamine, and if you're a few days later, it's not going to show up. Unless yeah. they like test your hair or something. There, there's uh, this Texas manager named Ron Washington, and about ten years ago he tested positive for coke. And I was talking to my uh, my friend Frank, who's my boss at the time, and uh, I was like, "Frank, oh, that's bad luck." And he goes, "It's not bad luck. If you get caught doing that, that means you're doing a lot of chop. Yeah, it's out of your system really quickly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not bad luck. It's bad timing. Yeah, it's just." All the timing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, baseball, there's there's so much down. There really is an insane... Even the games are downtime. Yeah. Yeah. E- even if you're in the field, there's downtime. Sure. And so it's, there's go. you go places and you wait. And these amphetamines, they were destroying a lot of players. One of the reasons... One, one of the writers, I think it was Buster Olney, said uh, he's really interested to see what happened to alcoholism in baseball after they got rid of the amphetamines. Because guys would be so buggy... So buggy after taking a bunch of amphetamines during the game, mm-hmm. they would get on a plane and they couldn't fall asleep unless they drank 15, 20 beers. Right. Wow. And so every, suddenly everybody had a drinking problem. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Cool. <laughs> Pretty much. That's why Wade Boggs had 30. He was just <laughs> trying to sleep. 
Wade. God damn it. That's really good shit. Drugs and baseball. Drugs and baseball are it, it's, they, it's they go hand in hand. They do a lot. Uh, most uh, uh, something like somewhere, but I according to some players, somewhere between fifty and seventy five percent of baseball players smoke weed. Right. They don't test for weed though. Yeah. Oh really? Right. That's interesting. That's in the majors, they don't test for weed. In the that's minors, fucking they interesting, do. man. That's very interesting. Do they not? They don't test. Uh, do they test the NBA? They probably, I feel like they do. They definitely do in, in football. Yeah, they definitely do in football. Which is insane, because if there's any sport that needs weed... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, my brain hit my skull. I better feel it. Hey, don't do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just... Show me your ass. I'm going to shoot you with this. <laughs> yeah. Have these opiates, huh? Yeah. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say let's wrap it up. What? All right. Let's do it. Are we going to chop it up? Chop it up! Chop it up! Chop what it do you got up. to chop? Red drink! <laughs> Shit! <laughs> hey, you got a wet finger or something? Ooh, it could be. <laughs> give, me, give me a minute. Oh, wait. Uh, one more thing. Oh! Sorry, I forgot oh, about this. I love one more thing. So Kevin uh, Kevin Koch went to jail for a few months. Dale Shipman went to jail for two years out of 12. Um, I think Kevin Connolly went to jail for for a few years. I can't remember, but Schiffman was really hurt that his best friend had worn a wire and given him up. And Coke, as you said, as soon as he did it, he, he it killed him. It it, hurt, it 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 tortured him for the rest of his life. Uh, and then about uh, ten years ago, Schiffman uh, met up with Coke, and they for the first time since the trial, and they got together and they cried it out. Wow. Oh. And he, because Shipman, he was in jail, and he found God, and he's like, I got to forgive the guy. No shit. Yeah. Wow. I was so chopped up. I was so sorry. <laughs> All the fucking snakes. <laughs> I was covered in snakes, and I wished you were with me. They were watching the TV through me. They were watching me. They were watching me, and I just wanted you to watch. And I was just see I was, me. Do and you I was see? like, I was like, if they're watching me, why don't they save me from these snakes? I was so alone. <laughs> If they can see me, why don't they see a man covered head to toe in snakes? Why have you forsaken me? <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, a lot of stuff. I hope, I hope it I loved it, Matt. That, that, that was a great ass profile. Chopping baseball. Woo, the Pittsburgh chop. <laughs> the Pittsburgh chop. And it's not even. Like an offensive Native American thing. Thankfully. <laughs> uh, not every episode's Jeez. perfect. <laughs> well, my people are tired. So <laughs> we're going to say goodnight, everybody. My name is John Fahey. I love you. My name is Aaron Pita, and I love you too. Matt Bruzzo, before we leave, I just want to say a big thank you to David Sharp for pointing me towards this and uh, uh, giving me a copy of the book, The Pittsburgh Cocaine 7. I believe that's the colorful title. Thanks, folks. Good night. Good night, guys. Good night.